The messages we get about retirement these days are, be afraid, and it's all your fault. We're told that if, like most people, we don't have enough safe for retirement, it's because of what we did, not the system. But is that the truth? The Reset Retirement Podcast asks, what does retirement really look like for Americans? By hearing from people who have both struggled and succeeded in saving, we can learn where the real problems lie within our retirement system. We can stamp out retirement saving shame, and we can discuss real solutions. I'm your host, Teresa Gillarducci, a labor economist and professor at the New School for Social Research. In our second episode, we dive right into a reality that's all too common for retirees. We ask our guests and our expert roundtable, can I live on Social Security alone? We are often told our retirement system is a three-legged stool made up of Social Security, savings from employer-sponsored retirement plans, and private savings. But this model no longer matches a reality where 60% of workers don't even have a retirement plan from work. They can't get coverage on the job. Coupled with life events like job loss, divorce, and sickness that can easily wipe out private savings or even your 401k, that leaves just one leg of the stool, Social Security. But can you really live on just Social Security alone? So, David, thanks a lot for joining us. Can you tell me um, your name, your age, and what your work is Uh, now and what you used to do? Right. My name is David Holmberg, and I am, I don't like to admit it, but I'm 80 as of last June. And um, I was a journalist for like 40 years here in New York and elsewhere. Um, But uh, other than my Social Security in the last few years, I've gotten into the theater. So I've been have had three plays produced off off Broadway. I've only made one on one of them. So I'm basically still surviving on Social Security, essentially. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a little bit about your life course, because American right. workers are supposed to have a pension on top of Social Security. Right. What happened to you? I mean, the long view of it is that I was an itinerant uh, journalist who never worked for more than five years in one place. So I didn't get a pension. Um, uh, well, and then I basically left newspapers when I was 60. And uh, I then freelanced, you know, for the Times and for other and other outlets. And um, and I taught for several years, just an adjunct, okay. So then, um, uh, but then I got and 10 years after my, after I left newspapers, in other words, after I left a full-time job, you know, after that, I got divorced, okay, and that that was the beginning of my slide into Social Security dependency, you know, so, um, so that, so, you know, as of then, because, you know, we'd sold the house, and I lived off the house payments for, the house profit for five, about five years, and then I, then I was, so I've been stuck in this Social Security thing, whatever it is, uh, as of about, what, since, since I was 65, roughly. I mean, I'm sorry, since I was 70, sorry. sorry. Um, when you got a divorce at 70, you right. had to sell your house, so divided that asset. Did right. you also have to give up some of the savings that you had? No, I had some savings, but but sort of minimally. We we were we were well. We had a little bit of stocks, but we didn't have much. We were, and I think if it was the kind of situation where if we hadn't got divorced at that, a I think we probably would have sold our house within another year or so, and we would have made a lot of money on that. So we would have that would have been our you know that if we continued to be married, we wouldn't have had would would have been perfectly fine. It wouldn't have been any problem. But as it was, we didn't. I didn't have much. Uh, much, you know, we had minimal savings. And so the house thing was mostly my main income, my main 
source for the next five years. Um, so, so tell me what it's like to live on Social Security. Do, are you renting now? Yeah, I rent. I mean, if you want, I don't know how detailed a story you want, but my is sort of fairly probably unique story. I, my wife and I lived in Montclair, New Jersey, which is up, and um, so we had a, a very nice cleaning lady who was with us for like twelve years. And when I got divorced, essentially the story is that my cleaning lady became my landlady because she is a multi, she is a millionaire landowner in in Montclair, New Jersey. So I got. I mean, I don't, again, I don't, I got what the, no, no harm in sharing what I, so when I had to leave, when I was running out of money with my house money and I couldn't even afford the apartment I was in, right? Uh, she then offered to, um, offered a studio in her, one of her, one of her buildings <laughs> for, for 600. So that's where I, that's how I, that literally, that is literally how I survived. You know, at that point, at, at that point, I would, I was, I was ready. To, I'm from Minneapolis originally. I was ready to go back to Minneapolis. I mean, I tried to, you know, I, she's a nice lady, but she lives in Bloomfield, so I had to move from Montclair to Bloomfield. Uh, it is, well, I guess you might say, the struggle, particularly if you know here in New York, if you're living in New York or New Jersey, the struggle is to maintain a middle to upper middle class life. And I'm very that's downwardly that mobile. Is a, that is downward. That is downwardly <laughs> mobile. Yeah. I still have this. It's, it's almost like a combination of gratitude and resentment because yeah. I'm in the position I'm in. You know, but what the hell? Well, that makes a lot of sense, you David. Yeah, you can't. You know, nothing you can do. Um, She's actually said at one point recently that with. With my, my age, she says, "I don't want you. I don't want you dying here." She actually said that. Um, so, you know, in other words, she doesn't want she doesn't want to be my paying this minimal rent for the rest of my life, however that long that might be. So, wow. that's what that's the point we've reached in our relationship. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, let me just go back to this. <laughs> sure. So here you are on Social Security, and you are a renter, right. and you're at the mercy of your landlord. Right. In terms of raising rent. Correct. And if you go from $600 to $700, that's a one-sixth increase. Social right. Security doesn't go up that much. No, exactly. Though. Exactly. It doesn't. It's actually, it actually went up. She, she pushed it up to 700 about. It's about a year ago. Right? What about your medical expenses and your food expenses? Well, I just have medic, you know, basic Medicare, and so far it's been okay. And I, I'm not... I'm not uh, I'm a little bit apprehensive about something when I get obviously I'm going to get something serious and it's going to kill me, but I don't. Um, but but um, I am just sort of pretending that's not going to happen. Oh, and food. Well, yeah. food. I How just food? I have a Spartan diet in my little studio yeah. apartment. Right. How much do you get in Social Security? It's now as of this month, it's eighteen ninety. Just under two thousand. And do you pay you, for Medicare Part B? Yeah, that's a, part of the. Um, of that or part yeah, B out I of think that. it's Part B. Yeah, yeah. Out, out of that, correct. Right, uh, right, right. The issue has been until recently. I didn't. I mean, Social Security is just like another thing to deal with. But the really larger thing is to have been able to make some money in addition to for twenty for twenty years. Right. See what yeah. I mean? So, but yep. I have literally never retired. I mean, I'm, I'm only when I I left the newspaper business, but that does not constitute retirement. I've been, I've literally been, I've scrambled. I think the word that I've been I've been scrambling for twenty years to get in in writing for magazines and newspapers and academic world and now the theater. I've, I've literally been scrambling for twenty years. I have not. I, I, I just have not retired. I wouldn't describe it. I've only I've retired from a from a full time job. That's the only way to put it. But uh, but the stress and the stress of Social Security is is very is simply a matter of getting through every month without desperately asking my ex wife for 
money, which I've started to do only recently. So Oh, that sounds stressful. It's literally a matter of yeah. not I don't I can't get through the month without yeah. I'm 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 like down two or three hundred dollars, you know, at the end of the month. Every month. Frequent months. I mean, that's how bad it is. That's how difficult. David, what would you say to people who say that social security is enough to live on? I'd say it's essentially wrong. Just in terms of a a middle-class person in the Northeast, I guess you might say, it's extremely difficult, if not impossible. It seems clear from our stories today that it's not possible to live on Social Security alone. This makes sense, because Social Security was never intended to be seniors' only source of income in retirement, though two-thirds of seniors depend upon Social Security for the majority of their income. So my question for today's experts in our roundtable discussion is, why are people still really dependent upon Social Security income? I would like to invite our guests to introduce themselves. Hi, it's Tony Webb. It's it's nice to be here. Uh, I'm a, a PhD economist. I've spent 20 years researching the U.S. pension system, I'm Rick McGahey, also an economist at the U.S. Department of Labor. I was the assistant secretary in charge of regulating private pensions, and I also served as the executive director of the Congressional Joint Economic Committee, and I'm glad to be here. So this is a great subject. Social Security is a vital program for the elderly. It's a great American success story. But I think it's a surprise to many listeners that so many people live only on Social Security and don't have a private retirement plan. Is Social Security enough for them to get by, to give them financial security? And most of the people who live only on Social Security are women, and it's not enough. And they might be a little bit out of official poverty, but they actually live in de facto poverty. They face the fear of increasing medical costs and they face the fear of actually not of not being able to engage with the rest of society going out providing a birthday present um, loneliness is a big problem when you're poor a lot of people don't have private savings either i would guess that people who live only on social security are less likely to have private savings as well yeah yeah so one third of retirees are dependent on social security for 90% or more of their income and over 60% are dependent on the program for more than half their income. But doesn't Social Security get adjusted for inflation and so the cost of living and increases? Yes, for... it does. Mm-hmm. The, the problem is that Medicare premiums get taken out of the check before it goes in the mail. And Medicare premiums are increasing faster than inflation. And that means that in some years, retirees may have no dollar increase in their Social Security check. And do we know are medical expenses a larger share of expenses for retirees than they are for the population as a whole? Yeah, there are. There are a lot of us arguing that um, retirees should get an even bigger cost of living increase than they do. It's great the Social Security indexes it for some inflation, but the elderly face much higher rates of inflation. So back when I was in graduate school, we were taught about a three-legged stool for retirement, that you would have Social Security, 
you would have a private pension plan, and you would have savings, your own personal savings. Is that still the way we should be thinking about retirement so that's in the future? So that's a very nice and unfortunately very unrealistic metaphor. If we look at the third leg of a private savings, uh, really very, very few households have any significant savings outside of their 401k plan. If we look at 401k plans, many households have nothing at all. The average balance of households approaching retirement is a mere $150,000, which is enough to give an income of $500 a month. You're right, Tony. It's a dumb metaphor. And if there's anything we can do today is to ban that from people's vocabulary. Our system is not a three-legged stool. If you're lucky, it's a pyramid with Social Security on the bottom. In the middle is an employer plan. On the very tippy top is some private assets, including your home. But the fact is, is that that middle layer is just crumbling. And most people only have Social Security to rest their retirement futures on. So down with the fantasy of a three-legged stool. And I would also say down with the fantasy of using the house. That, uh, the, so using the house, how do you, what do you mean? Well, one way of using a house in retirement is to downsize. Uh, the problem is that the average uh, retiree owns a house worth about $160,000. There's not an awful lot of downsizing that you can actually do, even if people wanted to. And, and most people indicate a strong preference for aging in place. And if I can just say, reverse mortgages aren't a good deal either. And not everybody approaching retirement even have a house, a lot, of, a lot of renters. So it's a fantasy of banks that want to sell reverse mortgages. But what if I'm a retiree now? I'm 60, 61 years old. I don't have personal savings. Maybe I don't have a pension plan at work. What should I do? Should I be taking my Social Security right away as soon as I can get it? What I tell people is to do whatever you can to delay collecting Social Security. To delay collecting, not to collect it right away. No, not to collect it right Even if you can wait a month, a half of a year, if you can move in with people, if you could take a part-time job, do everything you can to delay collecting well, Social I Security. Delay? I need that money. Yeah, so it's because you're going to probably live a lot longer than you think you are. Also, delaying collecting Social Security means that you have the best deal on the planet. From 67 to 70, you get 8% increasing your benefit per year from 62 to 66, which is a normal retirement age for most people coming online, is about, is over 6%. So it's- So I can get 6 to 8% just by waiting. That's a lot more than I can get on a CD at the bank. You can't get that risk-free rate anywhere on the planet. It's the best deal around. Social Security is a vital program for the elderly. It's a great American success story. But many young people are told it won't be there for them in the future, that the program risks uh, insolvency, that it's running out of money. Is it true? Social Security is not running out of money. It's funded from the contributions of current workers, and current workers are contributing. Now, young people always worry about Social Security. They're told to be worried by financial advisors, but in fact, the system will be there for generations upon generations. We do have a problem, though. The money that we're projected to take in 
will not pay the full benefits of the money that is expected to be paid out. And by 2034, if we don't do anything, anything at all to bring in more revenues, then we'll have to cut promised benefits by um, 25%. So young people should be very secure that the system will be there, but all of us should make sure that we get more money, more revenue into the system. You said uh, people were trying to scare people about this. Why would they do that? I think it's largely ideological um, that it goes back to attempts to privatize social security in the early 2000s. And we know where that went in the market crash of 2002. If you think that it's unstable, then it weakens the political support for it. And I, I really think it's as simple as that. Yeah. Some people say that social security takes too much of the federal budget, uh, that the elderly as a group are getting too much of our gross national product and are, in effect, harming children and other needy groups. Is that true? Are the elderly taking funds away from children's needs? First of all, the Social Security only costs about 5% of GDP, where the rest of rich countries, um, they provide like 11% of their GDP. Oh, um, more than double. More than double. And even by um, 2065 or so, we'll only have to charge about 6% of GDP because we're a rich country and a rather young country. But the idea that somehow spending more on retirees or old people takes away from young people, from my point of view, is just wrong. Countries that spend a lot on the old also spend a lot on the young. So there's really no trade-off in any real political system. We all start off young and we all end up old. And, and all of us have an interest in seeing that the elderly are properly taken care of. <laughs> right. And is Social Security only a program for the elderly? Yeah, and that's the other thing, that a lot of children in our country, over a million point seven children in our country today are lifted out of poverty because of Social Security benefits. Well, it's clear from what you've said that a healthy Social Security system is essential for financial security now, but also in the future, and that both the current retirees and the young people who are working have a shared interest in strengthening the system going forward. So what are the threats to Social Security, and what can listeners do to help strengthen it? So the greatest threat is the exhaustion of the trust fund, and this is an an eminently soluble problem. It needs modest increases in taxes. Uh, The problem is less expensive if we fix it now than if we wait until the 2030s. And because politics being what it is, the can is being kicked down the road. Oh, I was going to use a different metaphor that if your house, if your roof has a small leak, fix it now. If you wait till the roof falls in, it's going to cost you a lot more. Is that a fair Yes, it's a very fair. Yeah. Um, The biggest threat to Social Security, just to emphasize what Tony says, is ideological and not um, acting. Economically, we can now just um, increase um, payroll tax just a little bit, or we can raise the earnings cap. Well, we know Social Security is vital for a secure retirement, but uh, Teresa, you've designed and you advocate for a guaranteed retirement account 
that would work with Social Security to provide secure retirement for all Americans. So why would your guaranteed retirement account help? Why don't we just expand and strengthen Social Security? You know, Social Security is a great system, and it has to be expanded as a pay-as-you-go system to help people be lifted out of poverty. But for middle-class people and for people even more than that, it will never be enough. What we're trying to do is give everybody a pre-funded account that sits on top of Social Security. What should people be doing in their social and political lives? What should young and old people be doing when thinking about Social Security? What we know from our research is that the retirement solutions do not lie with an individual or household by household, that we need a government solution, and that everyone, no matter what age they are, should support policies that strengthen Social Security and Medicare. That's all the time we have to talk today. Thank you, Rick and Tony, for joining our expert roundtable. And thank you, David, for sharing your story about living on Social Security. And now it's time for our final segment. This is where we feature the bright spots of retirement, the stories that are giving us hope for retirement reform. The bright spot today in retirement is the attention paid to Social Security and especially in expanding Social Security. We heard from David that he's having a hard time living just on Social Security, but without Social Security, he would have almost nothing. Representative Bill Larson has introduced a comprehensive bill to expand Social Security, and he will be holding hearings in the new Congress very soon. Now, this is the first time that we've had congressional hearings focused on expanding the system in 50 years. One of the bright spots about the hearings is that we can debunk some of the myths that we just talked about. We'll hear about the many millions of people who are still poor after receiving Social Security. Social Security has not been updated, and that's what Representative Larson's bill will consider. So part of expanding Social Security is to prevent poverty in old age. And finally, we're catching up to the reality that the elderly need more money in retirement and that Social Security is one of the best vehicles, the most efficient vehicles in the entire landscape of retirement income that works. Thank you so much for listening to Episode 2 of Reset Retirement. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Retirement Equity Lab at the New School. It was produced by Bridget Fisher and Anna Lobeer and edited by David Fox, with music from Paddington Bear and Lee Rosevere. We hope you'll subscribe and join us for our next episode, where we ask, do we get shamed by the system? <laughs>